Hello, and welcome to the Animals Working in Conservation podcast, where we highlight conservation professionals and the incredible work they are doing with trained working animals in the field. My name is Anna Gustafson, and I am your host, and I am so excited to share with you the diverse ways that trained animals are supporting global wildlife conservation initiatives. Today, we are in for a real treat as we are joined by wildlife biologist Kaylee Quick, to hear more about her crucial work protecting tortoises in the Mojave Desert with her service dog, Willow, at her side. I am so grateful to have connected with Kaylee through the Las Vegas-based organization Michael's Angel Paws. I have even been lucky enough to join Kaylee and Willow on more than one occasion to observe their conservation efforts firsthand. Stay tuned to learn more about Willow's important role in helping Kaylee work towards improved conservation of the Mojave Desert tortoise. Excited? Me too. Here we go. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I am really, really excited to finally be sitting down to have this conversation with you. Um, I would love if you could introduce yourself first to our listeners, um, give them just a little bit of background about yourself and how you became interested in wildlife biology. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Um, so it's kind of a long story, but I've loved animals for as long as I can remember. Um, they were and still are one of the only things I truly, truly care about. Um, my name's Kaylee Quick. I am a biologist and I work with wildlife, as you know. Um, but yeah, in regard to like my love and passion for animals, um, I'm also disabled. So I have autism and PTSD, um, along with all five diagnosable anxiety disorders. Um, and at a point, the symptoms of my disabilities were so severe when I was younger that I actually couldn't work from um, ages about 16 to 19 or 20. Um, and I tried working multiple different types of jobs, um, but was unable to withstand it. So I'd go for a day or two and then I would never go back. Um, but when I was 19 or 20, I got my first animal related job at an animal hospital. And it was the only job I had that actually alleviated the symptoms of my disabilities. Um, and I was able to actually stay at that job long term. So ever since I knew there was really no other option for me than to work with animals. Um, my connection with animals also pushed me to go away to college because I knew that in order to work with them in the capacity that I wanted to, I'd need to get a degree. Um, for a long time, I thought the only way to help animals was by becoming a vet. So that's initially what I set out to do. But during my final year of college, I signed up to volunteer on a sea turtle research project off the coast of Georgia, where I stayed on a remote barrier island for a week and helped with sea turtle conservation efforts. Um, and the first night I was there, I witnessed my first adult sea turtle lay a nest and watched about 100 hatchlings emerge from a nest that was laid about 60 to 70 days prior. Um, and my interaction with those animals that night redirected the course of my life in an instant and the experience 
helped me realize I could pursue wildlife biology or conservation as a career. And that being a vet was not the only way to work with animals. So I ended up getting some conservation related jobs with water snakes and sea turtles. And then I decided I wanted to continue working with turtles specifically, which is what led me to my current position uh, where I work with Mojave Desert tortoises. Great, well, thank you for introducing yourself and sharing a little bit of your story. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about the, the sea turtles and of course our, our favorite Mojave Desert tortoises. Um, actually, if you'd like to get into that a little bit next, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your work looks like today? Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of coming out with you on a day or two to see a little bit of what you do in the field. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Um, kind of what does your work today typically entail? Yeah, um, so as you know, I work with Mojave Desert tortoises and the day-to-day -day, um, aspects of my job actually change quite a bit. Um, so I do a mix of office work and field work. Uh, with field work, I do a lot of tortoise monitoring, uh, basically monitoring their movements via radio telemetry. Um, I also do um, some work with looking at the uh, climate in the Mojave, Mojave Desert. So um, we check the precipitation levels and rain gauges monthly. Um, we also look at data from um, weather stations that we have deployed at some of our sites that I work at. Um, I also do a lot of tortoise handling. So I um, will go out and weigh and measure juvenile Mojave Desert tortoises monthly. And twice, about two to three times a year, we do health assessments on the Mojave Desert tortoises. Um, and health assessments typically include just like visual, uh, a visual health assessment, like looking to see how they're doing health-wise. But um, once in a while, it also includes sample collection. So collecting blood from the animals and um, collecting oral swab samples. And in addition, we'll do transmitter changes. So like I mentioned before, I do radio telemetry, which is basically when you um, put a radio transmitter on a tortoise and you can kind of think of it as the tortoise's individual radio station. And so you use a receiver to follow, um, to basically tune into their like individual radio station. And then the receiver is attached to an antenna. And so, you'll type in their little um, radio station into the receiver and then you'll listen to hear a beep. And as the beep gets louder, that means you're getting closer to the tortoise. So those transmitters actually, they, they die after about um, nine to 10 months on the juvenile tortoises. So um, about twice a year, we'll change those out on juveniles, but I also work with adult tortoises as well. Um, where I do GPS logger changes on tortoises, um, on adult tortoises, and we monitor their movements as well with radio telemetry. Um, and in addition, I also do tortoise forage observations. So we'll actually go out and um, observe what the tortoises are eating. And it's really kind of fun. Um, you get to, it. it it can be kind of fast paced, kind of slow paced, but you get to basically 
watch them through binoculars and document what kind of plants they choose to eat and how many bites they take of each plant. I love that. So you're actually measuring and recording how many bites they're taking of each plant to kind of determine their, their overall preferences? Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, that's really awesome. It sounds like you get to do a lot of different things kind of all to support the one goal of, of supporting the desert tortoise. Um, so that sounds like a, honestly, like a great kind of way to keep engaged and, and stay busy. And I can see why you love it so much. Yeah, it's, um, it's an awesome job. I do really, really love it. Um, my past positions that I've had working with sea turtles and water snakes um, have been just as rewarding. And uh, it's definitely a dream job for sure. So do you tend to lean toward the reptiles? Are you a big reptile fan? Yes, uh, mostly reptiles. I, I haven't done too much work um, in the wildlife fields that doesn't involve them. Um, okay. I used to work in two veterinary hospitals um, for about five years uh, where I worked with like dogs and cats, but um, all the conservation or wildlife work I've done has been um, involving reptiles mostly. Awesome. Well, I think when, uh, when I hit you up for this interview in the first place, you know, I let you know that one of the things we we're really excited to talk to you about is kind of the role that um, your trained working animal or your service dog Willow plays um, while she's in the field with you. Um, and I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what supporting role she plays for you in its kind of many diverse forms um, and how she contributes to, you know, the success of your work in conservation. What does Willow do to contribute, um, you know, to the end goal of conserving these desert tortoises? Yeah, so Willow is my favorite subject, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so <laughs> a little background on Willow. She is a Black Labrador um, retriever, and she is a service animal for me to help mitigate my disabilities. She's specifically task trained to um, mitigate the symptoms of autism and um, PTSD. Um, and she's about, she just turned three, actually like three days ago. Um, so she's three years old. She was trained um, by me under the direction of Michael's Angel Paws. Um, and Michael's Angel Paws is a nonprofit organization that helps um, people with disabilities uh, train their own um, service animal. Uh, whereas like, I guess the importance of that program for me is that I wouldn't have been able to acquire a service dog if not for them, because they made it very affordable for me to do so. Um, whereas like, if you were to go buy a fully trained service animal, they're quite expensive. Um, so that would have never been an option for me. But um, Willow started working with me uh, in the Mojave Desert in, um, let me think. I believe it was 2020. So I got Willow in August of 2020 um, and she was 11 weeks old. And then we started training and within a few months she started coming with me to work. Um, now, when I first started uh, bringing Willow with me to work, I actually experienced heightened symptoms of my disabilities. So they got a lot worse um, before they got any better. And mm -hmm. I think that's important to note because um, now, now like 
it's like I almost can't imagine myself doing any of it without her there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first began bringing her um, into the field, we kind of started slow. So uh, the first thing we ever did together was radio telemetry. Um, and it took some time before I was able to confidently handle her and do my job at the same time, which is why the transition for her into the workplace was slow. So um, just to give like kind of an example of um, the challenge behind it, the first day I brought her into the field to help with telemetry, I was only able to track about eight juvenile tortoises. Now before her, I could track about 20 in a day. So it was a significant decrease. Um, But with time, those numbers did eventually go back up. Um, So with the more experience as a handler and at the job, it did become easier. I didn't really feel, so there were some obstacles that were in my way, but I think most of them were my own um, insecurities um, as a service dog handler. And just, um, you know, being, I was a little bit hard on, I had high expectations, I should say, for Willow's behavior. Mm-hmm. So um, those were some of my, most of my obstacles were actually very internal. Um, there were two unavoidable uh, environmental barriers when it comes to working in the field with her in the Mojave Desert ecosystem, um, which were extreme temperatures in the summer. So she doesn't go out when it's above 90 degrees. Um, I actually don't bring her out even like once it's above 85, but um, the rule is 90 for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have one site that has really rough terrain uh, that's dangerous. And I don't feel comfortable bringing her there um, just for safety purposes, but that was my own decision. Um, I had probably the most supportive teammates and management supervisor supervisors like ever and before training um, or before you know accomplishing all of this with a service dog I actually didn't know anyone who had one mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know much about the discrimination and the um, you know difficulties that disabled handlers face in the workplace. And I, I luckily didn't find any of that out like firsthand. Um, Mm -hmm. After I showed that my work could be done with the service animal present, that's when I started hearing from other people in the community that, you know, work, finding a job and not being discriminated against is actually really hard. So um, I actually attribute a lot of the success I've had in um, being able to perform all functions of my job with my dog there to my coworkers and supervisors specifically. That's awesome. I think that that can really make such a difference, you know, having that support. And unfortunately, that is a a reality that many service dog handlers face is that discrimination, Um, you know, whether it's that kind of loud, more obvious discrimination, or maybe the quieter discrimination that we don't even always notice, you know, right away. So that's really great to hear that you had, you know, the support from your, from your coworkers and your management. I'm sure that makes a big difference in you being able to, you know, kind of get Willow up to speed and your own 
um, kind of multitasking as both a wildlife biologist and a handler. I'm sure that really helped a lot. Yeah, um, I think one other like really important aspect to talk about when it comes to talking about my supervisor, um, her name, uh, she actually no longer works at the place that I work at, but um, she was there for Willow's transition into um, becoming a successful service dog in my field. And she's the one that advocated for it uh, the strongest. Her name's Christina Drake. And I remember um, when I first ever did a health assessment with Willow present, um, it was with a group of people uh, and it was the first time my supervisor ever saw us work together. And she challenged us to kind of carry all of the equipment um, and to do the first health assessment of the season, which would be the first one that I did with Willow that involved sample collection. So I was gonna be collecting blood and oral swabs on that animal um, with Willow there, along with you know a group of maybe about 10 new employees who hadn't done it before. Um, and so I hadn't done this yet and she, you know, challenged me to, to give it a try. So I did and I was successful at it. And um, in the car ride on the way back from the field site, she actually said to me, you know, I didn't think that this was going to be possible, but now I think it works quite nicely. And the reason that I, I bring that up is because one of the most important parts about that is that throughout my entire experience, she never made it obvious that she didn't like that. She never made it obvious that she had um, reservations about it or doubts about mm -hmm. it. She mm -hmm. showed nothing but encouragement. Like she would always ask me, where's Willow? Um, like, are you bringing her today? Like she's really excited to have her out there. And so oh. it's really important to show that she had those thoughts, but she still gave it a chance and she still fought for us and still like believed that we could do it. And that's one of the most important things is like, even if you do have those doubts, it doesn't mean that you're always right. Um, and she, you know, hearing her say that, and I was, I was really grateful that she told me that um, just because it added to the importance of what she did for me. Um, and it's also a testament to her character. I think like she's an amazing person. So yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. sounds like, you know, the kind of supervisor we would all be lucky to have in our corner for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. And, I, and my, my current supervisor is awesome too. Um, Christina left uh, the place I work at, like maybe, I don't know, back in November, but she was there okay. throughout the whole thing with Willow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's, you know, that is such an important point to make, you know, that she was willing to kind of look past any of those reservations and just give it a chance, you know, and see what you guys were capable of. And I think be patient during the learning process too. And oh, I think sure. it sounds... Yeah, yeah, it sounds like not only patient, but, you know, enthusiastic and encouraging you throughout the learning process. So that's really yeah. great to hear. Like I said, like the first day I went out in the field with Willow, I could only track eight tortoises that day. Like usually we would send about two people out in the in the field um, to track about 40 tortoises. And that day we sent three people um, just because we figured 
that it might take me a little bit more um, time and I wouldn't be as fast the first time I did it, which is understandable. And mm-hmm. um, as I stated, it was not as fast um, mm-hmm. as it had typically been. So sure. And, and when was that, when did she first come out into the field with you? Did you say it was 2020? Yeah, it was in December of 2020. Okay. So you guys have a couple of, couple of seasons under your belt now. Yeah. <laughs> now it's mm-hmm. like normal. Like, I yeah. feel, um, like different when she's not with me. Yeah, I bet. Well, I guess kind of along those same lines of you know, I guess potential reservations or maybe hesitations that people would have about a service dog working, you know, I would say, especially in kind of a close capacity with wildlife, you know, did you run into maybe even beyond your immediate coworkers? Did you run into any kind of, you know, hesitations about the safety or the, I guess, logistics related to having a service dog around wildlife? Are there any misconceptions you'd like to clear up about that or anything that you think our listeners should know, you know, kind of about just having a service dog working in that capacity? Yeah, there's actually a lot of misconceptions about dogs working around wildlife. And I think it's because um, people don't associate dog behavior to the level of like a trained animal that service dogs are supposed to be. So when we think of a dog out in the field or out around wildlife, we typically are thinking of dogs that are not trained or out of control. Um, It's important to note Mm -hmm. that true service dogs are very, very um, highly trained and well-trained. Not to say that they are, you know, robots because they're not, and they do make mistakes. Um, But Willow actually, you know, like I said, there was a transition and that the, one of the big things about working with her was that I was training her as I started working with her. So she wasn't fully trained when she came into my work. Um, yet she had pretty solid obedience skills. Um, but yeah, a lot of people just don't, they think there's, there's a safety issue associated with, um, dogs working around wildlife, which there very well can be. It depends on the animal. It depends on the wild animal itself. Um, But I taught Willow as I went how to behave around the tortoises. And you can do that with um, service dogs. You You can kind of tailor their training to your needs. And so, yeah, like one of the reasons I started with telemetry specifically in the winter is because tortoises are not out and active in the winter. They're actually um, brumating in their burrows, which is basically like hibernation, but in the form of um, reptiles. So mm-hmm. um, they weren't out. And so that was like her first exposure to them really was them not being visible. Um, and trying to think what else. Um, there's misconceptions, I think, about disability in general, um, and I think it's really important to involve disabled people in um, different types of science fields, no matter what that is, just because disability drives and, um, I don't, and, and it also enhances um, innovation, so, mm-hmm. and diversity, like, there are certain technologies that we could never have come up with without um including disabled people in certain fields and 
There are several examples of that. Um, one is like the blurred background feature on Teams. I I believe a deaf um, a deaf uh, biologist. No, it wasn't a biologist. Um, someone who was hard of hearing uh, developed the the blurred feature for the background in Teams, um, okay. so that they could see the sign language better. Um, like sure. stuff like that. And so those, those developments you can't have, or we won't, we won't get that from someone that isn't living that experience. Um, Absolutely. yeah. So, um, other misconceptions, I think like with, there was a lot, there was a lot about handling, like a lot of people thought that I could not handle a dog and handle wildlife. So specifically animal handling while working with a service dog. Once a dog is trained to do a downstay for a long term um, and trained to not react around the animals, like you should have no problem handling animals. Now that, that could vary depending on the ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. This is specifically done in the Mojave. I don't know. I think from my experience in other ecosystems, like there are very limited, limited um, jobs that one, may not be able to have a service dog at like very limited from what I've experienced or thought about in my free time because this is all I, I think about <laughs> yeah. um and I've had people say like negative things nobody really at work but um I've had as I think some kind of wildlife manager like slid in my dms on instagram and told me he'd never hire someone like me um, oh, wow. which is fine, but you know, wow. this is loss. Um, another, really? thing, another thing that's really cool about service dogs and involving them in wildlife biology. And, um, as you mentioned in one of the previous questions, like she plays a pretty diverse role. I've actually begun teaching Willow how to detect tortoises. So she, um, has contributed greatly to the conservation of the tortoise. Like not only by improving my quality of life and my health so that I can do it, but also mm -hmm. um, her being able to help find them. Um, and so that's really cool. And that's something that can be done depending on the type of service dog um, with other wild animals too. So they mm -hmm. can advance your program in a way. Um, and, you know, I get the question a lot on, uh, one of the questions I've gotten a lot when I do talk about the fact that she does detection work, because I typically leave that out, but here we are, um, <laughs> is that is the question of, well, how, how does that work? Or how do you feel about her focus not being on you? Sure. And I think because of the nature of my disabilities, she's able to perform both of those jobs at the same time. There are mm -hmm. other handlers that may not be comfortable with that. Um, sure. I am though. So that's kind of, you know, um, a difficult topic, but, and, and not every service dog, not every handler is going to be comfortable with that, but it is something that can be done. Um, and we've, okay. we've showed that it can be so. Yeah, for sure. And is that something that she's only, you know, making that effort towards detection? She's only doing that when you've kind of cued her to do that. So it's not like her focus is kind of constantly split or. That's correct. So usually, okay. So I'll give an example of one time where that was not the case, but usually mm -hmm. I'm asking her. Um, and uh, usually 
like you know I kind of think of it as her break too because she really likes likes doing it and service dogs they do need breaks just like anybody else does from work so definitely um, it's kind of her fun time um but mm-hmm. the first time she found a tortoise completely on her own without me asking her was actually in May it was on May 10th I remember the date I love um, that and it's really funny because we were walking together so in the field Willow does stay in a heel um mm-hmm. she stays right next to me most of the time unless I I tell her she can go ahead or I ask her to actively search um so we're walking together and all of a sudden I I can sense that she's not next to me anymore basically she stopped and I get like a foot away from her before I notice and I said well come on and she's not listening to me and Willow usually listens so right I turned around and I looked at her and she's just staring at me and I'm like come on and she still didn't move and she's still staring at me and then I looked over and there was a tortoise like within five feet of her wow so she saw the animal and she stopped and typically Willow's alert for desert tortoises to do a downstay and and we're not quite there yet with the uh, full alert um she's still working on it but she did a standstay so show me okay. she understood what we're doing um and she stayed she maintains a very respectful distance from the tortoises she does not get right up on them I mean you've seen her work with them um mm-hmm. and because of the the nature of her her training um that's why it's actually safe to have her around the animals I don't think you know an untrained and an untrained dog should not be around a threatened species I do want to just throw that out there like um, we do not like advise to ever um, bring a, a untrained dog around these animals Will only does it because she is a reasonable accommodation for me for my disabilities and she's very trained so right yeah I mean and I think that is an important distinction to make yeah and she yeah so that one time she did stop and she did you know she was focused on the tortoise that it was momentarily um, and I was totally okay with it. And I think like my health in the field is typically better than it is anywhere else too. Um, sure. Like I can have issues when I'm out there and I have, but um, they're more rare compared to, you know, when I'm inside. And I think it's just because like nature and like animals and, you know, like I, I said before, they're kind of like a magical, almost healing to my disabilities. Like me not being able to work and then me being able to have a job once I realized that they alleviated the symptoms of my disabilities altogether. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. And Willa still, you know, she can still task when she needs to in the, in the field. So I don't mind it. There, there are other people again, who, um, it's probably not the best for them to teach their dog to do detection work on top of, you know, their service work, but yeah, she does it and I'm, I'm okay with it and she does a good job at it. So. That's incredible. I think that's just really cool that she has, you know, a chance to kind of practice multiple skills while she's out in the field with you, because you're absolutely right. You know, those service dogs, they work hard and they do deserve their breaks and sniffing is something that I think a lot of dogs, you know, find to be fun and relaxing. And so if it's a win for her and a win for you, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I really enjoy having her around. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about service dogs? I think you've, you know, you've really touched on a couple of important things tonight. 
um, already, but I just wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to um, kind of share before we talk a little bit more about Willow and her spring season. Yeah, service dogs. Yes, I, um, I think there's a lot that people should know about them, but I'll try to sum up a few things. Um, there's a lot of uh, common misconceptions or myths around service animals. Um, one of the big things is that uh, I think people need to know that service dogs are not the same as emotional support animals. Um, service dogs, um, they are protected federally under the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is federal mm -hmm. law. And they must be um, trained to do tasks or, um, or they must be trained to perform tasks or do work for individuals with disabilities. And those tasks or work um, need to help mitigate the handler's disability. Um, mm -hmm. And so they have protected rights for public access. They're allowed to go anywhere that the general public can go with very few exceptions. You know, uh, certain areas of zoos are off limits. Um, they can't be in, in, in shopping carts when they're in the grocery store, but they are allowed in grocery stores. Um, they can't be in public swimming pools, but they're not allowed to be excluded from like the deck area around swimming pools. Um, and they are allowed to travel on airplanes and they're also, so they're um, protected under the um, Air Carrier Act as well, which is independent of the ADA. And they are also protected under the Fair Housing Act. So housing um, companies or realty companies, they can't discriminate against you or say that you can't live in a specific house um, because of service dogs. So service dogs aren't considered pets. So even if these places are not pet friendly, the service dogs are still allowed. Another um, common misconception about service animals is that they're required to have certification. That's not true at all. Um, there's no certification currently in the U.S. for service animals. Businesses are only allowed to ask two questions. One is, is this a service dog required due to a disability? And the mm -hmm. second is, what task is the dog trained to perform? Those are the only two questions they can ask to verify that the dog is a service dog. Um, they can't ask for certification. It's illegal and there's no such thing. So any of those websites you see that sell those oh, certifications where you can just buy this online and all of a sudden your dog's a service dog. No, that's not how that works. Um, their right. training is what makes them a service dog. So with emotional support animals, the only rights that they have, the only similarity that they have um, with, with service dogs is that they're protected under the Fair Housing Act. So um, with a doctor's note saying that you have... Um, a disability and need the animal for a companionship or emotional support. Uh, housing places can't discriminate against you. You must be allowed to have your emotional support animal live with you. Um, but mm -hmm. that's pretty much the only similarity that the two um, share. And it's really important because a lot of people think that service animals and emotional support animals are the same thing. And they're not because emotional support animals don't require the same level of training and they're mm -hmm. not granted public access rights. And one of the biggest problems in the US is that is fake service animals. I mean, they're, they're everywhere and it's problematic. It discredits real service animals and it causes problems for real service dog teams. I mean, bringing an untrained, 
your untrained um, pet out in public, not only is it illegal to, um, you know, kind of misrepresent your, or not kind of, but to misrepresent your pet mm-hmm. as a service animal, that is illegal, um, but it also is not a victimless crime. So I've seen handlers who've do- whose, whose dogs have had to re- retire because they've been injured or they've been killed by somebody's pet out in public that did not belong there. Um, oh, and it's horrible. just not okay. Um, and that's something that a lot of that is lack of education about what service animals are. So some people, you know, they're not doing it to be uh, malicious or anything like that. They just don't know. And they, they truly just think, oh, if I put a service dog vest on my dog, I can bring it anywhere. But no, that's not how that works. And so I think that's one of the most important things um, to know. Um, also that service dogs can be any breed. They come in all shapes and sizes, all breeds. Um, so they're not just, you know, Labradors or Golden Retrievers or Shepherds or Poodles. They're, they can be anything. They can be pit bulls. They can be Chihuahuas. They can be a Maltese. They can be literally any kind of dog. Um, so yeah, those are some of the, the main things I think people really do need to know um, about service dogs. Yeah, I think those are all really important reminders, um, you know, because I do definitely share the same sentiment as you where there just really is, I mean, I would almost call it a crisis of, you know, un, untrained and not really service animals going out into public. And certainly I've seen the negative results firsthand of what happens when you have a pet dog in Target that doesn't actually have the training, you know, required to handle a busy store you know, like a service dog would. So yeah. And um, like, also it, it's seriously like service dogs are, are people's medical equipment. Like they are very expensive. It takes years to train them. It can take Mm -hmm. anywhere from 18 months up to two to three years to train these dogs. They're not easily replaceable. They're very, very expensive. And like I said, Michael's angel paws, like allowed me the opportunity to have one, I would have never been able to afford one. So if you bring your untrained pet out into a non-pet friendly place and it hurts or injures a service dog and causes it to retire or even like kills it, unfortunately, I, you know, that's a, a reality as that does happen. Um, horrible. The, you're responsible for that and you're responsible under law to pay for the damages associated with that. So if your dog, um, untrained pet, injures a service dog in public and that service dog can no longer work, you have to pay for the cost of a replacement service animal for that handler by law. Mm -hmm. Like it's not anything to joke around about. Um, It's not a victimless crime. It's it's a serious, serious thing. And, yeah, like it's not good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, even on, I guess, the less extreme end of things, you know, when you say it's not a victimless crime, you know, you're absolutely right in that. And when we think about misconceptions that service dog handlers and service dog teams face, um, and maybe even some of the discrimination that they face might be based off of people's negative, you know, misconceptions that they got seeing a, you know, quote, service animal in the store who wasn't trained and really shouldn't have been there. 
Um, you know, so it really does, it does kind of, you know, affect how, you know, legitimate service teams are perceived. And, and even if, you know, your dog is in a very, you know, well-trained sort of good, uh, situation, if people are experiencing more and more of those untrained, you know, support animals out in the world, um, it does kind of lead to those misconceptions and unfortunately that kind of room for uh, confusion and discrimination. So definitely not a victimless crime at all, I would say. Yeah, I actually think that's the biggest problem um, or the biggest reason why handlers are discriminated against so often, both in and out of the workplace is because people associate service dogs with fake service dogs. Like when you think mm -hmm. of service dogs, you think of people who are bringing their fake untrained animal into a place that it doesn't belong and disguising it as a service animal. That's, that's part of the problem. I mean, there are more people that fake service animals than there are people that have them. So right. that totally adds, I mean, if people would just stop doing that, um, we would have a much easier time in life <laughs> as disabled mm -hmm. people. Sure. Yeah. It is a serious, a serious concern for sure. Well, I appreciate you kind of clarifying a few of those things. You know, I think there is, um, you know, a lot of space to kind of give people a little of clarity around those, uh, a lot around those topics. So I appreciate you kind of diving into that and sharing that with our listeners. Um, I think let's talk just a little bit, let's kind of switch back, um, and talk about Willow a little bit more specifically again, just because I'm dying to know, you know, you guys kind of just wrapped up your spring season. I know temperatures are of course getting hotter in the Mojave. So, um, I'm guessing is she, is she kind of past her, past her time of being outside with you during the field work now? Yeah. So our busiest seasons are the spring and fall. Um, so she, she came out with me this past spring. Um, of course she kind of stopped coming out probably toward mid to end of May depends mm -hmm. on the temperature. Um, so she hasn't been, she won't be going out much more this summer unless I start super early, which most of the time I do anyway. Um, so another thing mm -hmm. with temperature restriction in the Mojave is we can't handle tortoises once it's above 95 degrees anyway. Um, sure. So she can come out for like short morning um, activities if there are any. Um, so I usually get up before the temperature gets pretty high anyway. Like I'm up at like three or four, um, sometimes two in the morning um, to start. But yeah, so she's kind of, uh, she probably won't be working much the rest of the summer, but um, she's out there during the, the busy times with the, hand, the handling that mostly occurs in the spring and fall and um, in the later, later in the spring as well. So yeah. Okay. Cool. And it's, you know, I was going to ask, you know, if you had kind of a favorite moment from this spring season, but I guess May 10th might be the favorite moment. Hey. Yeah. That one was my favorite moment. Yeah. Um, that was totally my favorite moment, like at all, uh, like ever probably. Um, well, I've had a few, but for this past spring, that was my favorite moment. Favorite moments ever was probably that first time that I did the health assessment with the sample collection that I, I mentioned earlier. Uh -huh. um, and one time, this was really funny. Um, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, this was not this spring, this was a while ago, but um, we carry these little like cardboard takeout containers in, in mm -hmm. the field. Um, 
they're they're literally there to go containers like if you were to get chinese food um or something <laughs> sure um and we carry them with us to rehydrate tortoises so if tortoise like uh voids its bladder during handling or something or it needs a drink we um typically with the juveniles we'll put them we'll put water in these little containers and then we'll put the juvenile tortoises in them so that they can um, soak and get a drink of water um and one time Willow and I were out in the field and it was super windy and um I had the soaking containers I call them soaking containers but the takeout containers in my hands and two of them just like got taken by the wind and started like flying across the desert they were the only two I had so I needed them and so I run after one and she literally went the other way and ran after the other and that's I amazing one and she grabbed the other and brought it back to me it was awesome and it was hilarious. wow <laughs> that is some cohesive teamwork yeah it was funny I don't even think I asked her to either like I think she went to take off and I was like I said no to stop her like because she usually never takes off um mm -hmm. and then when I realized what she was doing I was like no go go ahead <laughs> like I need that so, <laughs> that's awesome yeah I love when they surprise you with things like that yeah she's hilarious one other time I had um I had my um it was like an id card or something in my back pocket while I was handling a tortoise and we have to practice really good biosecurity when we're handling tortoises. So like not touching things after we've touched the tortoise. Um, so once my gloves are on and I handle tortoise or start handling tortoise, I have to limit what I touch. And like, there are certain things that I cannot touch. And if I touch anything with those contaminated gloves on, it needs to be cleaned in a very specific way. Um, so I had an ID card or something in my pocket and um, I had gloves on and I was handling a tortoise and the ID card fell out of my pocket and Willow was laying behind me. So when I'm in the field working with tortoises, when I'm handling them, I'm, uh, she lays directly behind me and you've seen that. Um, so the ID fell out of my pocket and she picked it up to give it back to me, but I couldn't touch it. And sure. my coworker that I was teaching um, I was a new employee at the time I was teaching how to do handling and biosecurity and health assessments and such. Um, I like she had it in her mouth and she was holding it like patiently like I got this for you you're gonna take it and I'm like I can't grab that. So my coworker was like, Do you want me to get it and I was like yeah just put your hand out in front of her and say give and she'll give it to you. So mm -hmm. we did and. Um, and she just placed it gently in his hand. It was so funny. Oh. So she's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, she is awesome. As I've I've met her in person, and I got to tell our listeners, Willow is really incredible. Yeah, and adorable. She, you know, she's got that energy sometimes, but she's uh she's the best. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's such a good girl. Oh, well, it sounds like you guys have, uh, you know, accomplished a lot of important work in the field together and also had some fun in the field together. So I think that sounds like a great combination. We definitely have had a good time. Uh, definitely some serious struggles. I definitely don't want to like undermine that at all because it, the beginning was not a good time. Um, some, there are some days where it is like still like can be a lot. Yeah. I have to, I, uh, Another thing like in terms of like obstacles is 
typically, you know, I have to carry more gear than other people do in the field. Um, mm-hmm. just cause I have a dog with me. Um, sure. so, but the beginning, it was very, very hard. Like not one part of learning how to do my job with my dog was easy at all. Um, now it's just normal. So right. we have fun with it, but at the beginning, uh, it wasn't fun. Um, but I'm glad I actually initially thought that I was making a mistake um, when I first started training Willow because of the amount of, um, I don't know, the the toll it was taking on me and the fact that it made my disability so much worse. I thought I I made a mistake and I thought this isn't going to work for me the way that I thought it would, you know, traditional Mm -hmm. treatment methods didn't work for me. So this was kind of my last resort option. And So I was just like, I don't like, I think I made a mistake here, but I think this is another important thing to, to know is that once I pushed through that discomfort, like every obstacle or challenge that we faced, once we figured out how to resolve it or figured out a way around it, it became so rewarding that I just wanted to keep going. And Mm -hmm. because of that, like once I pushed through the discomfort, it actually had significant positive impact on my um, health and like overall quality of life. Um, so while at the beginning it was really awful, like now it's awesome. And I know there are a lot of service dog handlers out there that they, you know, they have the same feelings that I do when they start training the dog, like this isn't going to mm-hmm. work. And some of them, they can't, they can't push past that discomfort. Not everybody can, um, but I'm really glad that I did. And so I think like the message there is that it does get better um, if you keep trying. And if you have someone to support you through that, like I did, um, you know, it was hard enough for me to train Willow, like outside of work, you know, in public, I had severe anxiety with public access training. It's another reason why I don't understand how people even have the audacity to bring their, um, their untrained animals out in public. Cause I was allowed to, and I still like had a problem with it. Um, but with the right support and like the, the discomfort is temporary and maybe I'm only speaking for myself or, you know, I'm, I can't speak for everybody. Like everyone's experience with disability and training a service animal, um, everybody has a different experience with that, but I do really believe that if you really try to push through the discomfort and that goes for anything, not just service animals or being disabled in my field, but it could be anything that makes anybody uncomfortable. If you push through it, like eventually it gets better. And I think that's like one of the most important parts of mine and Willow's journey um, overall. I think that's such a, such a beautiful message to share and such an important reminder because I mean, especially for the expectations that we have for our service dogs, you know, they're high expectations and there is, there are definitely growing pains, you know, during the learning process. And I would think um, describing it as discomfort is really kind of a great way to put it because, you know, as a service dog trainer, I've seen, you know, with clients really, that discomfort is difficult to overcome. And and it can be, um, you know, I think a situation where 
that learning process can sometimes really exasperate symptoms. Um, so it's good to have that kind of support network and, and have someone that can talk you through, um, get you through to the end. So it's really good to have that reminder that, you know, if you can get through the discomfort, oftentimes, you know, there is, there is something on the other side that's, that's kind of worth pushing for. So it's really great that, you know, Willow was kind of able to help you experience that. And I think that, you know, your point is valid that everyone has a different experience. And for some people, you know, a service dog really may not be the right fit for them. But, um, you know, I think it's just important to remember that the discomfort is a normal part of the process. You know, it's, yeah. it's normal for it to be kind of freaky at first to have a, you know, a service dog that you're responsible for. And it's, it's a lot of responsibility for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I'm really glad that I did it looking back, like I'm really glad that I didn't, didn't give up. Um, but it is definitely a really hard thing, uh, for sure. Especially if you, you are training the dog as you go. I, I don't know. I don't anticipate that working in my field would be as hard for somebody that has like a, uh, fully trained, like highly trained, um, service animal as they're entering into the field, I guess. Sure. Is there anything else that you would say to, you know, many, maybe any of our listeners who, you know, maybe they don't have a service dog yet, but they're wondering if it might be a good fit for them. Maybe they have a service dog and they're wondering if, you know, a career in wildlife biology, um, is an option for them. Is there anything else that you would share? I think you've, you know, shared a lot of really important things already, but um, any other kind of tips or final thoughts for any of our listeners who might want to, um, you know, one day work in a field with wildlife where they would also be having support from a service animal? Yeah, I do. Um, first thing is don't take no for an answer. Um, mm -hmm. You're right to have the dog there. I think yep. there are there again, there, there are probably, um, some instances where it won't work. Um, I can think of very few, one of the ones that I've, I've thought of, um, or one line of, I guess, wildlife work I've thought of that maybe, you know, might be a little bit harder. I, I will not say that it can't be done because I think that if you try hard enough at anything, you can do it. Um, mm -hmm. the one animal I've thought of that, and the only reason I've even thought of this is because I've applied for a job to, to work with them, um, mm -hmm. is alligators. Like, I'm not sure how that would work. I think there are ways that you could make it work. Um, interesting. Yeah. Another I, yeah. I could thing, see that being complicated. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, but, it, but there are ways, like there's, there are probably ways to, sure. um, for sure make it happen. Okay, so another thing is a lot of people that aren't living your experience with disability, they like to put their, give their input on whether you can or can't do something with right. whatever disability it is that you may have. Um, ultimately, those are not the people who should be deciding whether or not you can perform or do something with your service animal or medical equipment there. Um, the disabled person is the one who should be making that, you know, decision. So at the end of the day, if you think that you can do it, 
then you can if you try. And someone else that isn't living your experience doesn't know that and they won't know that because it's not them. Like, I think that's a really big um, thing to consider when, when, you know, trying for a job like mine or trying for um, a job that lacks, you know, disability representation. I mean, that's another thing is representation matters. Um, like, Absolutely. if you don't see someone else doing it, like, you're not going to know that it's possible for you. And I, I think my situation's interesting because I didn't know anybody else who was doing this and I still don't. Um, right. So I think that's, that's partially why it's important for me to share my story is because it does matter. Like, I do wish that I had someone that I saw who was doing it to convince me that I was able, because I definitely had doubts, but I would have never tried it if I didn't think that I could do it. And if I didn't have so much support um, and encouragement. Um, so another thing is fighting, fight for your rights. Like it's your right. And, you know, there has to be, if, if you're denied an accommodation for a service dog at work, there has to be a really good reason for that. They can't just say no. Um, it would mm -hmm. have to cause like undue hardship for the employer for, right. and they have to prove why. And now after the work I've done with my dog, um, I don't know that, you know, many um, managers or supervisors working in the wildlife field can deny or will be able to deny that request um, after, you know, my story has spread even more because I've shown that you can do it. Um, you know, my work specifically in one field, one area, you know, one ecosystem, but um, that's where it starts. And we need more people um, to represent the disability community or not, not even just disability community, but underrepresented groups um, in the STEM field in general. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, just, you know, you make that decision. I, I think any, you know, anything with Willow that I don't, anything that I don't do with her at work are all things that I don't do because it was my choice not to do it with her there. Um, okay. Like our, our field site, the one that I mentioned earlier that has the, the terrain, like I cannot picture and because I've been out there Someone else might be able to do it. I don't know, but um, the terrain at that site is nothing to joke joke around about. It's it's dangerous, and sure. um, that like was my decision. And I think like um, also when I was deciding to bring Will along for specific activities, like I said, her transition into the workplace it was gradual. Um, I went out and I did these things first before bringing her which mm -hmm. really helped with determining, can I do this? And so at that site specifically, like I'd gone out there and I'm like, no way I would even try this with her. And it's mostly because um, one wrong step from either of us and we're both, you know, injured or worse. Um, so right. I, no good. she's been, she actually has been to that, that site though, I will say. Um, so another thing is, you know, the you can make accommodations in certain um, environments to suit the needs. So, for example, at that that field site, 
Um, I have brought her there a couple of times. Um, we have rain gauges at that site. I don't bring her when I check rain gauges at the site, that site just because of the location, but some mm -hmm. of our tortoises are in more accessible areas. So um, last fall, I believe it was, um, not the fall of 2022, but the fall of 2021, I did bring her to that site and I went, I assigned myself the tortoises that were in accessible areas that both of us could get to that's okay. you know granted they don't move because they do move around but right um, so you don't know but if for some reason one had moved and I couldn't get to it then the other team needs to you know there, there are multiple teams out there someone else can step in and take over that animal that I can't get to so it's it's teamwork sure. um and there's you know if you feel like you can do something you can do it I don't think a disabled person's going to say that they can do something that they cannot do. And so I don't think managers should be the ones determining like whether or not someone can do something when they have no experience themselves in that, that area. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's why my supervisors are so amazing because they never once tried to do that. You know, they would say, let's try it, see how it works. If not, then, you know, we find an, another alternative um, foraging observations. That was something I just recently tried in April um, where we were like, I don't know how this is gonna work because foraging observations, um, you have to observe from a distance. You have to be very quiet so that you don't impact their behavior. Their, you have to try to limit, I mean, you being there in general, I think around wildlife, um, you know, it's gonna impact it in some way. But mm -hmm. foraging observations, I think people thought would be the most tricky because of the nature of that kind of work of staying at a distance and observing and trying to make it so they don't know that you're there. Um, mm -hmm. Like there were doubts on like, can that be done with a service dog? And I, I remember talking to my supervisor this past spring and saying, hey, I haven't tried this yet. And he was just like, yeah, you know, we don't know yet. Why don't you? go out and give it a try. If for some reason you're not getting observations, but everyone else is, then maybe we just find something else for you to do. But then I went out and it was totally doable. Like I got, you know, I think I got more observations that day than the other people did. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And it, Willow's at a distance. I put her in a downstay under a, and you're observing these animals for a long time. Like you observe their foraging route so that can go on for several hours um oh sure I, yeah I put her down under a Joshua tree and um she I asked her to just stay there and it was nice and shady and Willow likes the shade she doesn't really want it was the temperature wasn't too hot but it was definitely hot enough or warm mm -hmm. enough where she was like you know panting so she'd prefer to be in the shade anyway so she just stayed under the Joshua tree while I'm walking around, like literally barely was paying attention to her. Like I would check in um, here and there when I had a moment, but we have to pay very close attention to the tortoise. Um, right. And she stayed there for over two hours, no problem. There was another time where a tortoise actually turned and started going directly toward her. And in that instance, I was thinking, well, shoot. Because what if it goes right? Like at that point, I would interfere if it walked right, like sure. up to her. 
Um, right. It did walk pretty close to her and she was just looking at it and it was looking at her. So it did know that she was there. Um, sure. So we do try to avoid that. But again, at some, some points they, they know that we're there. We try to right. minimize as much as possible, but that's just the direction that it coincidentally went. And I couldn't interfere with that. So uh-huh. I waited to see what would happen. And Willow just stayed laying down and looked at it, looked at her and it, you know, walked a couple more steps toward her. And then it, it turned and it redirected its foraging route. And I don't know if it did that because of her, if it was just genuinely going that way in the first place. So right. um, I would have interfered if I had to in that, that instance, but Willow's trained around the tortoises. She wouldn't have gotten up and like, you know, reacted to it or anything like she doesn't have prey drive around the animals at all um but Mm -hmm. I still would have you know (laughs) not let it walk on top of her or anything like that like we're definitely very safe out there when it comes to the animal interactions sure I'm imagining they're very deliberate little steps forward I could just see him you know a little tortoise walking up to Willow and her just waiting like what do I do I stay right here she knows exactly what to do and I'm standing there like, oh no, like I wasn't like, I didn't think that of the possibility of this. Um, but, and she's usually very hidden too. That's another thing. Like she's hidden out of the way, like behind a tree at a very significant distance. Like tortoise has no idea that she's there mm-hmm. to my knowledge. I mean, I think she's pretty far, far enough away that it wouldn't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about breaking barriers. Like you just, if you think you can do something, just give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, you know, maybe, maybe you need to do it where you um, go out first and you try it alone first. And that's totally okay. Um, That's what I did for a lot of it. Um, It took me forever before I started handling captive tortoises with Willow around. So, Hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important, I just, that's such a great message to share, you know, like to just to just give it a try and, and you can always, you know, troubleshoot from there. You can try it another way, or if you decide that it's, you know, not a good fit, then you can kind of look for other solutions. But, um, you know, I think some great reminders there to, to give it a shot and also great reminders to advocate for your, you know, your dog's needs as well. I think it's, I think it's great that you, you know, you've got the one field site where you do set those boundaries for her Um, you know, I think it is okay to have those limits. You don't have to feel like she has to be with you at every moment and in every situation for her to, you know, do her work as a, as a service animal. So I think that's an important reminder. Yeah. And like I said, they, they need breaks too. So, um, during, there are some days where I, I don't bring her in the field, you know? And so I think those, those days where like, um, it's at, that specific site where I don't feel comfortable. I think that's good for her to, a good day for her to take a break. I also Mm -hmm. have an accommodation at work where I can rearrange the schedule. So like, um, I didn't talk about that at all, but my accommodations in the workplace are to not have my dog work above 90 degrees, um, to be able to rearrange office furniture as needed and to be able to rearrange the field, um, the field schedule as needed as well to fit our needs. Um, so like, I've been able to, you know, like at that field site, that that's a perfect example of like me, if for some reason I do want to bring her out there on a specific day for a certain thing, I'm going to go, I arrange so that I go to areas where I can go 
or mm -hmm. if it's, you know, during a day where there's rain gauges, like I said, I will not bring her for rain gauges, um, mm -hmm. rain gauge checks at that site. Like say that it was a bad health day and I really did need to have her with me. I would mm -hmm. need to rearrange it for somebody else to go do that work instead of me. And that's, that's part of accommodating disabled people. And, you know, right. I think my, my work, um, and my teammates, we also like, we set a perfect example for that and the things that can be accomplished when you just give someone a chance and include them. So. Yeah. Yeah. You guys definitely have some great teamwork. Um, I've seen it, seen it in person, seen the way you guys work together. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It makes a big difference when, you know, you just have people that are willing to like, listen and, and do what works for you in that moment and, you know, just have that flexibility and, you know, see everyone as, as people and not just coworkers, you know, kind yeah, of accommodate exactly. their needs a little. Well, awesome. I think you've, you know, you've really shared a lot of important information, um, you know, definitely some encouraging messages for anyone who might be interested in, you know, maybe having a service dog if they don't already or bringing their current service dog or future service dog into, you know, the wildlife biology field. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot to learn from, from you and Willow and the work that you're doing together. Is there uh, anywhere that the uh, listeners who are interested could find more information about the work that you and Willow are doing together. Is there somewhere that people can check out what you're up to? Sure. Um, so we have an Instagram account uh, that we post a lot on. It's um, at Willow Tree underscore SD. Um, so at W I L L O W T R E E underscore s as in sam d perfect awesome well i will be sure to uh, write that in our show notes as well um, for anyone who didn't catch that but definitely you always have engaging content on your instagram so i highly recommend that people check you out and see what you and willow are up to yeah we have a tiktok too i can um tell you that one um, yeah we just started it so it's um, basically the same exact handle, um, uh -huh. but it's with a period after tree instead of an underscore. So it's at willowtree.sd. Okay. Well, we'll be sure to uh, differentiate the two in the notes for sure. Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today before we wrap up here? Um. Just that I think, you know, one of the things we can learn from Willow's story is that, you know, there is no, I, I saw this quote somewhere, I don't know who it's by, but um, there is no diversity, equity, or, or inclusion without disability. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it starts with us. And so um, Willow plays a significant role in the conservation of Mojave Desert tortoises um, by helping me help them. And, you know, I think that people should be inspired to um, managers and supervisors and other people who may be teammates in the future to a disabled coworker. Um, you know, it's 
my team's an inspiration, I think, and uh, sets an example for how we should treat those people. Um, and that a lot can be done with support and encouragement from those around us. So that's, that's all I had left to say. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, an important message because that support and the teamwork, I think really does make all the difference. For, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, I'm glad we finally got a chance to sit down and talk a little bit more about Miss Willow um, and the work that you guys do together. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for including us. This was fun. Aren't you glad you stuck around to hear more about the amazing work being done by Kaylee and Willow? I know I sure am. I had such a great time chatting with Kaylee about her work in the Mojave and have such special memories of those early mornings that I trekked out to the desert with them. If you're interested in learning more about the work that Kaylee and Willow do together, be sure to check them out on the social media pages mentioned. Don't forget that this information is available in detail in the show notes, where you will also find a full transcript of the conversation. Thanks again for joining us. This is your host, Anna Gustafson, signing off until next time. Thank you.